And I want to say hello, obviously, to all of you here. Praise God for your presence, for you being here in person. I wish to say hello to everyone out there who is part of our church who is watching. Everyone, uh, as far as I know, six or seven, perhaps eight states or more that have been, been watching us. And to our friends in the Philippines, Canada, Poland, and India, we love you very much. We appreciate you watching. And we are very glad that you are joining with us this morning. And we certainly have you in our prayers. This morning, according to the Voice of the Martyrs Global Prayer Guide, we do bring to your attention brothers and sisters in Christ who are in the Philippines. And we do have a sizable number of persons from the Philippines who have been watching and who have been listening for some time now. Philippines, or Mindanao, according to the Voice of the Martyrs, is hostile. In the Muslim-majority southern island region of Mindanao, where Voice of the Martyrs works, Muslim groups in the government have engaged in a long-standing conflict over the Muslims' desire to form an independent Muslim state. Recently, the Muslim groups such as Abu Sayyaf and Mateh have pledged allegiance to the self-proclaimed Islamic State to gain financial help and foreign fighters. Muslim extremists routinely threaten Christians, often driving them out of Muslim-majority areas, and many pastors and believers have been killed. However, a significant number of believers remain in these areas and share their faith. The Philippines is predominantly Roman Catholic. Many Muslims, Christians, and pagan animists live on Mindanao and surrounding islands, with Protestant churches scattered throughout the region. In the Mindanao region, Christians are targeted by both Sunni Muslim and communist rebels. In the Mindanao region, attacks on Christians are sporadic and unpredictable, creating an environment of constant tension for Christians. When conflicts break out, government forces respond. In some areas, the government has ceded control to Islamists, and Christians' rights are not protected in those areas. Churches are legal, and many Bible schools throughout the Mindanao region produce graduates who return to share the gospel in their local community. Bibles are available in cities, but they are expensive. Voice of the Martyrs responds to attacks on Christians and provides tools and training for frontline workers. So please remember our brothers and sisters who are in the Philippines. Sovereign our God, our Heavenly Father, ruler of heaven and earth, one true and only living God, Father, Son, and Spirit, hear our prayers. We pray for every single solitary person and situation that has been mentioned this morning. For those giving prayer requests for our church here locally. And for our brothers and sisters who reside in the Philippines. Who often suffer great hardship and persecution. Hear our prayer on their behalf. Help us with our resources to be dutiful to help them in any way that we can. We pray for our brothers and sisters all about the world who have been watching and listening for each and every situation and circumstance, for all of their ministries, for the requests for us to pray for ministries overseas. And we pray for our folks in various states here at home who've been watching and listening. We lay their circumstances and situations known and unknown before you, that you may be glorified in their lives, that they would be drawn closer to you by the situations and circumstances that they face. Give them bravery, give them courage, give them the powerful truth of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit to lead them and guide them. But we do pray 
that you will free them from persecution and from danger and grant them freedom to spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in peace and safety. We pray for the same in our country. We pray for the freedom and liberty of our country to survive and for the freedom of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to be proclaimed in this nation and around the world. And we are very, very grateful for the prayers of persons from all over the entire world who are praying for America and for our situation and circumstance. And help us to fight for our freedom and liberty, not only for ourselves, but for all of those around the world who are counting on us to keep it alive, no matter what the cost may be. Your sovereign will be done. We pray for everyone here who is given a prayer request. Heal their sicknesses and their illnesses. We rejoice for the health and well-being of our brothers and sisters who are being healed. And we pray for Lynn's travel. We pray for all the missionaries who we support and Andre in Canada. Requested to come in from overseas. Forgive us of our sins, Father God, in the name of Jesus. Our many faults, our many failures that we commit that we are responsible for on a daily basis. By the power of your Spirit, clean us up. Pick us up from old sinful habits and ways and set us on our way in pursuing biblical holiness and the truth of your word and translating your word into action in our lives and the sacred words of the inspired Apostle Paul in our journey through this letter of Ephesians. Magnificent, magnificent volume in the Divine Library. I pray that you will bring souls to salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ by hearing the message of the incarnation of the Son of God. And I pray for Brother Dan next week as he brings forth a special Christmas message for our church and for all who have been watching and listening for these many months. Hear our prayers, our sovereign God. Pardon us for our fumbling and awkward prayers. May your perfect will be done in the life of every person, every nation, every family, every organization, every individual that we are praying for. Glorify yourself in all of their lives and in each and every circumstance and situation. Open the hearts and minds of everyone watching and listening and present here this morning to receive the truth of your word and to apply it to their life and to be dutiful to do so. And remind us by your Holy Spirit to translate these words into action in our life each and every day on a daily basis. Thank you for the beautiful warm weather that we've had this week. Very warm, beautiful weather for this month. And thank you for these beautiful days which points to the return of Jesus and the world to come, Eden restored, which will never go away again. Thank you for the hope and promise of the perfect world in which we will see you face to face. Truly be perfected and holy. Truly living in a holy and perfect environment, in a perfect world, with all the beauty from the plants and the trees and the animals and everything as pure and pristine and perfect as you originally made it. Thank you for making us part of this divine plan that we may see and live in that perfect world under your rule and reign, which knows no end. And now may the meditations of all of our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord, our God, our rock and our redeemer, you who are absolute and ultimate reality, you who are our one and only hope, and you who are more than hope enough for one and for all. In Jesus' holy name, amen. If you stand, please, for the reading of the word of the Lord. Ah. 
Today our passage we'll be studying and unpacking from Paul's letter to our brothers and sisters in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 12 to 16. Building up the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 12 to 16. But if you permit me, I'm going to take a running start or a running leap into today's passage from verse 11. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Verse 12, our passage we'll be unpacking today. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ Himself, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of of the body for the building up of itself in love. These are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God for them. Thank you, folks. You may be seated. So again, we have more life application within this passage because of the truth Paul taught us doctrinally and theologically from chapters 1 to 3. Chapters 4 to 6 will be how do we translate these words into action in our life? How then should we live? What is life to be like now? if we're living our light truly in the, lies, in the light of the truth that Paul taught us in chapters 1 to 3. The result of the work of these ministers, these servant leaders of the church that Paul mentioned in verse 11, their goal, the result of their work, is to be the equipping of the saints or the preparation of the saints. So this section, verses 12 to 16, that we're going to unpack this morning is all about, as is traditionally translated into English, the building up or the preparation or, as we sometimes classically refer to it, the edification of the saints, the edification of the members of the body, the church. Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. So the first phrase, let's unpack, of course, beginning of the sentence, the verse, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. Now what we traditionally translate as equipping for the equipping of the saints or to equip the saints is kataptismos in the original Greek. And this is the only place that I am aware of where this word in particular is found in the entire New Testament. Kataptisos. Uh, many New Testament Greek scholars argue that you should probably translate this word as preparation. Preparation may be just as accurate, if not more e accurate, than to equip or equipping. For the preparation of the saints. Equipping and preparation of the saints. For what? For the task of service. For the task of ministry. So Paul writes that Christ, if you remember from our previous passage from a week or so ago, Christ Himself has given gifts to every member of the body of Christ to serve the remainder of the body of Christ. In particular, He has called out and gifted certain servant leaders of the church. Those persons mentioned in verse 11. To prepare fellow believers to engage in ministry. Ministry to the entire body, the entire church. Ministry in the church, ministry for the church. 
all believers. Probably say it several times before we're finished with this passage this morning. The New Testament always teaches that the Christian life is active. It is never passive. It is active for everyone. And remember from last week's passage, Paul states that all Christian believers, all Christian believers have been given certain gifts. Yes, the spiritual gifts that are mentioned in the New Testament, but I think you could also add in any talent, any skill, any knowledge, any ability that can and should be put to work for service or ministry in the church, the church local and the church universal, the worldwide church, the church abroad, if needs be, if opportunity arises. Therefore, Paul is saying that the saints, the hagioi in the original Greek, the holy ones, those made holy by salvation in Christ, those who are being made holy by salvation in Christ, all believers, all believers are the ones who are prepared by the servant leaders to carry out much of what we call ministry in the church. No, all the ministry in the church is not piled upon the shoulders of a very few. Paul is clearly stating it is a task for everyone. Everybody. Now, yes, certain servant leaders who are given certain gifts are, have certain responsibilities and duties to perform for the church at large. But Christian ministry is for everyone. Christian service is for everyone. Everybody is to be a diakonos, a servant or a minister in some way or another in their local church and to the church universal. Everybody's involved in this. Everybody should be active. Christian life is active again. It is never passive. All believers are to be prepared. All believers are be to be equipped to labor in the task of ministry. The word that he uses for ministry and service is the word by which we come by the English word deacon, diakonoi, diakonos, which re in most contexts in Greco-Roman literature, it literally just means to serve somebody in some way or someone who is a servant, someone who performs some sort of service to others. And Paul in this passage is saying that is not only the office of deacon in the church, every believer is to be a diakonos or diakonoi, a servant in service. To the building up or for the purpose, for the goal of the building up of the body of Christ. So, of course, Paul again is using one of the most beautiful, one of our most favorite metaphors for the Christian life, for Christian believers corporately. The metaphor of the church local, the church universal, all believers as a body, as a living organism, with Jesus Christ himself as the head, to the building up of the body of Christ, to build up Christ's church in this world in expectation of his return. That's what it's all about. That's the goal. That's the mission. That's what the service is for. To build up the local church, the church universal, to build up each believer who makes up the whole church, the whole body. Verse 13, until we all, that's an interesting, until we all, we all, Christian believers everywhere, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Obviously, that's a powerful verse, and it's a loaded verse. 
loaded with very important truths, so we should unpack this somewhat carefully. First of all, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, that is, until we all accomplish a goal, until we all accomplish a goal, we all obtain something, we all attain something. Part of that goal is to obtain, to attain, to achieve a unity of the faith, that is, a unified understanding of the faith, the Christian faith, a unified understanding of scriptural truth, biblical faith, the Christian faith. He's saying this, if I may use a common slang expression, we all have to be singing off the same page. We all have to be singing off the same sheet of music. The truth, and only the truth, from he who is truth, and the source of all truth. Until we all achieve this, obtain this, attain to this. Absolute unity in the faith, a unified understanding of the faith, biblical and scriptural truth. And of course, at the heart of it is the knowledge of the Son of God. That's the core, that's the key, that's the heart of an understanding of the faith. The knowledge, a knowledge, honest knowledge, truthful knowledge, accurate knowledge of the Son of God Himself. We must all attain, we must all achieve a true, factual, comprehensive understanding and knowledge of Christ as the Son of God, who is God the Son. Who He is, what He is, what He has done, what He is doing now, what He will do. Christ's person and work. What we believe and what we know to be true about Christ the Son of God, that is the key. That is everything of absolute and paramount importance. We must have true unity in this. If we call ourselves Christians, we must have absolute unity in what we know and believe to be true about Christ the Son of God. If there is no unity in that, there is no unity at all. The ministry of the servant leaders that Paul mentions is to impart truth and knowledge of the Son of God, teach truth about the Son of God, defend the truth of the true identity of the person and work of the Son of God, defend this factual true knowledge of and about Christ. Absolutely essential to Christian unity, to church unity, to growth and Christian maturity. To a mature man, now he's arguably speaking about individual Christians, mature man, mature woman, but I do believe he is speaking corporately. The church body must grow up to be a mature man, a mature adult. The corporate body is to be mature. Full Christian maturity in the faith is the goal. It is to be achieved. It must be achieved. Paul wishes for the church, the body, to grow to adulthood. Full maturity. And the church is a unified whole, a unified body must mature in order to what? To become more Christ-like. To become more like Christ Himself. In all of His fullness, as the apostles say, or in all of His completeness. Mature, the word that Paul uses for mature in the original language is teleon, or teleos, which usually means a goal. In many con uh, contexts, teleos or teleon means a goal to be achieved. That's what Paul is speaking of here. The goal is, the teleon, the teleos, is maturity. Teleon or teleos here means to be whole, to be complete, to be perfected, to be finished, to be a finished product. Perfect. Lacking nothing essential. 
This is the goal that we must all pursue as individuals and corporately. Now, obviously, the apostles also tell us that our perfection is not going to be ultimately or finally completed until we are in the personal presence of God Almighty Himself. After we make that passage of mortal death or upon His return, then you and I truly will be perfected by Christ and in Christ. Nevertheless, nevertheless, the inspired apostles command us we are commanded to pursue perfection in our pilgrimage, this side of eternity, in our life. We are to pursue it, and we are to labor at it and work at it with all of our might for everything we are worth. We are to achieve next to the full measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Or let me offer this translation as well. To the measure of the full stature of Christ. You folks who have your ESV study Bible, allow me to quote it from the textual notes upon this verse, quote, Christ Jesus is the standard of the maturity to which the church must aspire. Beautiful. Absolutely correct. Christ Jesus Himself, He is the standard of the maturity to which the church must aspire. Christ's fullness is the full expression of His divine and human perfection, end quote. Dr. S. M. Bal in his commentary writes, In the incarnate Son is the full expression of both divine and human perfection in one person. The beautiful mystery, not only of God's Trinity, but of God Almighty, the Son who took upon Himself a human body and human nature. That's what Christmas is really all about. The incarnation of God. To break the curse over His fallen creation and often offer salvation to His fallen human creatures who were originally created to bear His image. The incarnate Son is the full expression of both divine and human perfection in one person. In His image, believers are being renewed. He is the maturity by which all Christian maturity must be measured as the standard. He is the standard of the new redeemed human race who will inhabit His new creation and His eternal kingdom." End quote. We must seek to measure up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Other folks are not your measure and your standard. Jesus Christ Himself is the standard and the rule and the measure. We must seek to measure up to Him. That's the goal. To truly one day be image bearers of God. To bear the image of the divine Son upon our own person. We are to aspire to achieve, not only individually, but together, a unified knowledge of the truth of Christ and about Christ for full maturity and complete Christ-likeness. The more you know about Him, the Apostle is saying, the more you will become like Him. If you know more about Him and translate that into action in your life. Verse 14, as a result... What's the result of all of this? He's polite enough to tell you. As a result, we are no longer to be children. We're to be like children, tossed about here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Again, let me quote the ESV Study Bible to you. They give an excellent uh, summary, a paraphrase of what the Apostle says here. Quote, Immaturity in the truths of Christian doctrine makes the church like gullible children. 
This is a loud and clear message for people who claim that theology and doctrine isn't important and they don't like it. It's boring. Immaturity in the truth. Immaturity in theology. Immaturity in doctrine. Immaturity in the truths of the Christian faith makes the church like gullible little children, tossed helplessly by the waves and winds of cunning and deceitful schemes of false teachers, end quote. As a result, as a result of what? As a result of maturity, as a result of correct belief, as a result of becoming more and more like Christ, therefore we should no longer be like children. These things are absolutely essential for they bring true stability. You want to be stable? Pursue biblical truth. Pursue maturity, pursue correct belief, pursue Christ-likeness, and you will not be a child. You will be stable. We are not to be children. Paul uses a particular word for children. There's several words for children in Koine Greek. One is brephos, infant, baby. One is paideia, or paideion, which can mean a young child, sometimes even referring to kids almost into their teenage years, but he doesn't use one of those words here. He used an interesting word, nepios, N-E-P-I-O-S. And nepios you can really translate as toddler. Don't be a toddler. Do not be a toddler. I think another reason why he uses this word is because often in Greco-Roman literature at this time, nepios was an insult. Nepios was often used derisively as an insult to describe a simple-minded person, not a person who is mature and sound or a stable adult. Paul is saying that Christian believers must, be, must become biblically, theologically, doctrinally mature and stable so as to not become snared and tossed about by the cunning schemes of deceitful false teachers who like to prey on spiritual toddlers. Paul is rather sharply contrasting mature man, mature adult, with a little hapless, hopeless, helpless toddler. Now isn't he? We are to be mature men. Mature men and women. Happy Christian warriors. Not toddlers to be preyed upon. Tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. This is obviously what we are not to be. As lost and helpless as a boat on a storm-tossed sea. Getting nowhere, going nowhere. And in danger of ultimate and final destruction. Do not be at the mercy of the wind and waves of false doctrine. Do not be at the mercy of the wind and waves of man-made theological novelties of which we are suffocating in these days. Do not fall prey to that. Do not be at the mercy of deceitful teaching or error. And notice, this is rather poignant when you take a moment to think about the language and the imagery that Paul is using here. See what he's talking about? The imagery that he's using? Tossed about by wind and waves, a storm at sea. Paul is using the frightening imagery of a violent storm at sea. And Paul, if you know his biography well, this man knew intimately and personally all about violent storms at sea in the Mediterranean. In fact, even amongst secular historians, they consider the narrative in the book of Acts of Paul's shipwreck to be one of the greatest ancient maritime narratives ever written and still preserved. And for goodness sakes, if you remember, 
Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the man was shipwrecked three times. Wind of doctrine. Doctrine is didaskalia, which means teaching or learning. Doctrine, instruction. Make certain that your doctrine, that your teaching, that your learning, your instruction is the truth. From inspired truth, from he who is the truth and the source of all truth. This is what the servant leaders of verse 11 are for in particular. To proclaim, to teach, to defend, to protect, to promote the truth. To equip believers to be mature and stable, not to be vulnerable toddlers. Their goal is to protect believers from what? The trickery of men by craftiness and deceitful scheming. I love the language he uses here in the original. Trickery, he uses an interesting word. It's cubea, rare word. Cubea, K-U-B-E-I-A, cubea. And many believe that this is the word by which we come by the English word cube in this way. Cubea or cube means dice. Playing dice, gambling, games of trickery, games of chance. It means something akin to our English phrase, playing against loaded dice. Don't be taken in by that. Do not be taken in by religious, spiritual, or theological loaded dice. It's a losing game. Don't go there. Craftiness, the word Paul uses, is panorgeia. It means deliberate trickery involving evil cunning. It's an ugly word with an ugly meaning. Does all this sound familiar? This is very much of the nature and character of the evil one himself. The arch deceiver himself. Deceitful scheming. Methodeon plenos. Methodeon planos simply means planning or strategizing. It's not necessarily bad. In many contexts, it's good. It just means to carefully plan or strategize a plan. In this context, obviously, it is negative. It is dangerous. In this case, it means planning or strategizing evil or falsehood. Paul is saying false teachers toss people, toss spiritual toddlers about, with their false doctrine and trickery in order to accomplish deceitful schemes and trickery to enrich themselves at the expense of everyone else. That is the true nature of evil. Be on your guard. Be mature. Don't be taken in by it. Again, we have the theme, arguably here, of spiritual warfare in this book. Verse 15. But, on the other hand, contrary to that, speaking the truth... In love, yes, agape love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ Himself. So, but speaking the truth in love, I really enjoyed studying this verse in the original language because Paul is saying something more to us than mere lip service, than mere speech, than mere words. Let me explain this to you. Speaking the truth in love is alethuontes in agape in the original language. Many Bible scholars, New Testament Greek scholars, argue that you should just as well translate this as confess the truth. Not just speaking the truth. You confess the truth. That changes the meaning a bit, doesn't it? You are making a confession by speaking the truth. 
In other words, you're not just giving lip service to the truth. You are confessing something that you live by, that you know to be true. Let me explain this a little further. Elefuantes en agape, speak the truth in love. Elefuantes, we translate as speak the truth. Now, Elefuantes comes from the root word aletheia, which means truth. If you know anybody named Aletha or Aletheia, her name means truth. Hopefully she lives up to her namesake. Aletheia is truth. Alephuo means to live the truth, to follow the truth. So this word alephuantes, many Greek scholars believe, means practice or follow the truth you speak. You get it? That's what Paul is really saying. Live out the truth that you speak or confess. Live up to the truth while you speak it. As you speak it, you'd better be living it out. That's what he's saying. And living it out in agape, in agape, in or by way of agape love. Agape love, which is a gift from God. Agape love, the highest, noblest, truest form of love a human being could have and share. Love which is a gift from God that He gives to us upon salvation and that we are to give to one another who are part of His redeemed family and that we are to give back to Him. Truthful speech that one lives out, live it as you speak it, never forget. It should always be motivated, should always be seasoned, should always be characterized by agape love. Love for God, love for God's truth, love for Christ's church, and love for the souls of other human beings. Theologian Peter O'Brien writes, Paul wants all believers to be members of a confessing church who truly possess what they profess with the context of their testimony to be the word of truth, the gospel of their salvation. Paul wishes for believers not to be children tossed about wandering and deluded with error, but to be mature, possessing, possessing, truly possessing, and professing the truth. End quote and confess and live up to that truth in agape love and all that that word means. Next, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ Himself. That's a tall order. Or, allow me to offer you this, something of a paraphrase. We are to grow up in all ways to be like Christ. That's what He's saying. So the truth that we are to confess, that we are to live up to, that we are to live out, manifesting and demonstrating agape love all the while, is to lead Christian believers in genuine growth towards maturity, growing up in all aspects like Christ, or in Christ in every way. Ace out on Panta, growing up like Him in all ways, in every way, into Him, into Christ Himself. Christ Himself, remember, He is the measure. He is the standard of Christian growth, right? Christ Back to the metaphor. Don't forget the metaphor. Christ is the head of His body. The church. The head is the part of the body most critical, most important. The head controls. The head directs. The head guides. The head motivates the body and all that it does. So this is a comprehensive growth to maturity. Grow to be like the head. Be a body part that wishes to grow like the head, to be like the head. This is a comprehensive growth to maturity again. 
And a true knowledge of God the Son, confess that truth, live it out, motivated by agape love, and you will grow. You will grow. You cannot help but grow if you do this. And this growth should affect, obviously, every area of the believer's life. If you're growing up to be more like Jesus Christ in all ways, there is not a single solitary part of your life that isn't going to be affected. Now, a moment more on, more upon what Paul says is the head, even Christ, or Christ himself, the head of the church. Christ is head of all believers corporately. Christ is head of believers individually. The word he uses there for head is kephale. It's the same as the English word head. It can mean head on your shoulders or head as in leader or head as in a head out first. And again, Paul is stressing that Jesus Christ himself, he ultimately is the true ultimate source of all the believer's growth and maturity. Christ is the one who empowers. He leads you. He guides you. He directs the body individually and as a whole. He nourishes and directs the church. As head of the body, Christ is the leader supreme of the church. And Christ strengthens, sustains, nurtures, and supplies all that that body ultimately in the end will need for growth and for sustenance. But Jesus Christ is not only the originator of His church. He's always actively involved. That's what He's doing right now. That's what He's doing right now. He's always actively involved. He's always intimately involved in maintaining and sustaining and growing that body, growing His church, and all by divine plan, all by divine fiat, the church's ultimate final growth and maturity is part of the plan devised in the mind and heart of the Trinity from before he spoke the universe into being. Concluding verse for this morning, verse 16. I don't know what English translation that you have. It's a long verse. It's a loaded verse. It's a bit of a challenge for New Testament Greek translators because in many translations, there are good sound translations, most of them are, but it can sound a, a bit awkward or unwieldy as we translate it into English. But the, the meaning of the verse is really rather simple and straightforward considering the metaphor of the church as a body. And from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So let's pick this apart a bit. Once again, a bit, bit of a challenge to translate in, into English, a bit awkward or unwieldy in some translations, but, but it is actually more straightforward than it at first may sound. To help you with that, Paul basically states the exact same truth, but more briefly, in Colossians chapter 2, verse, verse 19. I will read Colossians 2.19 for you. The head, Christ is head of the church. Again, the metaphor of the church is a body with Christ as the head. The head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. End quote. That is to say, simply, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself as head of the body, as head of the church, He not only supplies leadership, but He also is the source of life provision for every member of the body, for every joint, for every ligament. You and I are the joints and the ligaments, all connected together as a body. He is the source of life provision for every member of the body, all of the joints, all the parts, all the ligaments, so that the body as a whole together in good health grows and matures. It's as simple as that. That's what he means. 
And Paul basically is saying the exact same thing here in Ephesians 4.16. And here in Ephesians 4.16, Paul is teaching Christ, Christ as the head of His body, head of the church, again, He ultimately provides all the nourishment, nurturing, and good health spiritually as each member, all intimately connected as the different parts of a body, as we all, not only individually, but we all together should be growing as a healthy body in love, in unity, in truth, in faith, and life in the Holy Spirit. And yet, I have to say this at exactly the same time, and yet, do not forget, the church is not passive. Christ is ultimately responsible. Nevertheless, the church is not to be passive. The church is to be quite active. Christian life is always to be active. This passage tells us that the church, every member, the entire body, is to be actively working, actively in service, actively participating towards the goal of growth and maturity. The members of the body receive life and nourishment from our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, of course. Nevertheless, it is also true that the members of the church are in turn to serve other members of the church body, local and abroad, with the strength and gifts of grace that Paul tells us we all have received from Christ. Not just the servant leaders mentioned in verse 11, all believers, all members of the body, all members of the church are to make a vital contribution. Some vital contribution of some kind or another to the life and health and welfare of the body. Now this is something very profound. I struggle over this. These metaphors are beautiful. And he is describing something that is very real and is very profound and is, is deeply mysterious. The, the bond and the unity that we have with God Himself by way of the Lord Jesus Christ, the bond that we have with God Himself by way of the indwelling Holy Spirit, and the bond and the unity that we have with one another as members of this organic body. This is deep stuff, folks. Some of the deepest truths that you're going to try to get your mental and emotional arms around. We are part of one another as the parts of a body are part of one another in a very profound way spiritually. We are to be the parts of one another as the parts of your body are parts of that body. We are to work together as the parts of a body function together for the health and well-being of the body with Jesus Christ Himself alone as the head of that body. And notice it's a profound thing that Paul speaks of the church, all believers, as an organism and not an organization. Some churches make a fatal flaw by functioning as an organization and not as a living organism. Paul speaks, at least here in this metaphor, we are an organism. We are a body. We are not an organization. We are not something that looks like the secular fallen world around us. Clinton Arnold states in his commentary, the ultimate goal of the body, this body, far transcends any personal spiritual growth, 
because the growth of the entire body, local and worldwide, is in view here. End quote. And as the body grows and matures, the body, as Paul writes, is to build itself up in love, in agape love. So let me give Dr. Arnold the last word of the day here. Quote, he writes in his summary of this section in his commentary, It is ever so important to recognize... Oh, allow me to throw in my quote before I get to his. Paul speaks of the church not as a, an organization, but as an organism. That means Jesus Christ is not a CEO. He's not the president of the board. He is head of his body. It is ever so important to recognize that love is a social virtue and cannot be seen or manifested by living in isolation from other believers. God designed the church so that believers will live together, function together as a body, as a family, in community. While there has been a strong emphasis in contemporary Christianity on personal or individual spiritual growth, this can easily be overemphasized at the expense of the corporate emphasis of this passage. Paul not only envisions a body of proportional growth, but a body that cannot properly grow without all believers receiving gifted input from all other members of that body. This is a particularly important doctrine to teach and affirm while there is this increasing trend towards a consumer mentality by churchgoers. The body of Jesus Christ, according to the New Testament, according to Paul, according to this passage, is not a place to merely sit back and soak, but to serve. All believers have been called into Christian ministry. End quote. Sovereign Lord God, our Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth of your word, and thank you for this beautiful, deep, and profound metaphor which we in our finite minds and selfish attitudes find it so difficult to grasp, that God's people in this world are to be an organic, unified body, growing and maturing as one and working and functioning as one. With Jesus Christ, our Lord God the Son, He Himself alone as our head. Please, Father God, by the power of Your Spirit, help this truth to sink into the minds and hearts the souls of everyone watching and listening here and abroad, that we truly may translate these words into action in our life and accomplish the goal. Growth, maturity, unified. Preparing this body for the return of the great bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and for the world, the perfect world, that he is bringing for this one day perfected body to dwell in. May your blessings dwell richly upon everyone who receives the truth of the word of this passage. In Jesus' holy and most precious and sacred name we pray. Amen.